Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. The Apostle Paul writes, They're speaking the truth in love. We are, and here's the important part for us this morning, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. I thought that it would be a good idea as we are working our way through Philippians chapter 3 and specifically verses 12 through 16. In that passage, if you remember, we started looking at it last week. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us understand the level of effort that is going to be required from us in order for us to pursue Christ-likeness, to pursue becoming like Christ, to make progress in our sanctification. And so I thought, you know, perhaps I'm getting the cart before the horse just a little bit without helping us all understand or to make sure that we all understand what the Bible has to say about spiritual growth. There may be some who believe that since God is sovereign and that he has promised that one day we will be like Christ, then why not just wait for God to complete what he started in us and uh, we don't really have to do much in the here and now. Well, here's the problem with that mindset. You simply can't support it from the Bible. Just pay attention to what Paul says here in Ephesians 4.15. We are to grow up in every way. Now, Paul's writing to a group of people who lived during a particular time, and he expected them to take that admonition as literal for them during that time in which they lived. So therefore, we read that, and we are to take it just as literally as they did then. The Bible expects us to grow as Christians. God expects us to grow as Christians. As I said last week, life creates growth. Just as a child grows and develops over time, so too should all those who have been born again, those who have received spiritual life, they too should grow and develop over time. And really, if we think about this, do we really need to grow? Well, think of the examples that we have in Scripture. Do we have examples of non-growing Christians? Are they highlighted anywhere in Scripture? If they are, are they highlighted in a positive way? Just think about some of the characters. Let's take Peter, for instance. Peter's every preacher's favorite whipping boy. He shouldn't be, but sadly he has become that. But look at the life of Peter. He starts out as a fisherman. He was impetuous to say the leaf, and he had a penchant for sticking his foot in his mouth. Always seemed to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. He was one who wanted to, had a poor sense of timing. But what do we see? We see him go from this impetuous fisherman to becoming spiritually mature to the point that he actually becomes a leader in the church at Jerusalem. That's a perfect example of somebody who grew throughout their time here on earth. So the Bible just, you know, one thing about the Bible, you realize that the Bible never tries to prove the existence of God. It just assumes that God exists. Guess what it also assumes? It assumes that Christians will grow. The Bible assumes that all who profess faith in Christ will grow. Growth is normal for all who have truly been born again. As I said last week, and you'll hear me say several times this morning, spiritual growth is a sign of spiritual life. Therefore, where do we begin in this consideration of spiritual growth? Well, we must begin with what? Salvation. Until you are alive spiritually, you cannot grow spiritually. Asking you to grow spiritually, if there is no spiritual life in you, would be like me walking into the county morgue and uh, seeing several dead bodies laying there 
and me with my best preacher speak saying, get up and get on with life. What's going to happen? Nothing. Why? They're dead. They do not have the ability to get up and do anything. So therefore, when I exhort you, encourage you, teach you about spiritual growth, the first thing you have to settle is, am I a Christian? Have I been born again? Have I been born from above? Have I believed in Christ? And perhaps if you've been continually frustrated in your efforts to grow spiritually, perhaps we need to take a step back and examine whether or not have I been born again according to what the Bible teaches. Not perhaps what you heard somewhere else, but according to what the Scripture teaches. Have you been born from above? Has God given you new life so that you can now begin to grow spiritually? So I say to young and old alike, have you been born again? Have you believed in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God? And again, the assumption is that all Christians will grow. Now let me give you scriptural proof for that this morning. You may just want to jot down these references. I'll kind of go through them rather quickly. The first one is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul writes to the believers at Thessalonica, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Why? Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So what do we have? We have two phrases here, growing abundantly and increasing. Those are words of growth. Paul wasn't surprised by their growth. Rather, he did what? He gave thanks for their growth. To the believers at Colossae, he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we simply ask, what is it to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, Paul says, bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. Both of those are phrases, uh, are synonyms for spiritual growth. To the church of Corinth, Paul wrote this, We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. Again, Paul makes the assumption that their faith would increase. And he is pleased when he sees that it is increasing. He is not surprised that their faith is growing. Why? Because it is his expectation that their faith would increase. Right here to the church of Philippi in chapter 1 verse 9, Paul wrote, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Again, he has the expectation that they would grow. So I trust you get the point. Paul was not surprised when those who were under his care experienced spiritual growth. It was his expectation that they would grow spiritually. And let's just think this through for a moment. Why else would Paul labor so diligently in providing them with sound instruction and sound teaching if he did not have the expectation that they would begin to apply what he has been teaching them so that they would do what? So that they would grow. The author Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews 5, 11, and this we have much to say about this, excuse me, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now notice this. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. As I read that, I get the sense that he's disappointed. And why is he disappointed? Because of after all of the time and investment that's been poured into them, they still haven't grown like they should have grown. They, ha they, they have never moved off the baby food stage. They still want milk. All they can handle is milk. And you can sense his disappointment in that. Hey, hey by this time, you ought to be on solid food, not relying upon 
milk. Let me say this. Knowledge, apart from application, does not create growth. Knowledge, apart from application, will not, cannot create growth. And I think that is a mistake that many Christians make. They have a head full of knowledge, but they experience very little growth. Now, Jeff and Emily and I were talking to Sherry as well. Uh, in our discipleship last week, Jeff brought up a comment made by Vody Bauckham at the G3 conference. So I went and looked that up this week, so I get the exact quote. And this is what Vody Bauckham said. I think it was in 2017. He said, there are some of you who are here because you're conference junkies. You just go on from conference to conference looking for that next high. Say, so why do you bring that up? Because I think some Christians equate the number of conferences that they attend with spiritual growth. But now listen, I'm not being harsh on those who attend conferences. I'm going to be harsh on a whole bunch of people, amen? I think those who read a whole bunch of books, Christian books, even theology books, equate that with spiritual growth. I think those who listen to so-and-so's podcast or so-and-so's sermons, they listen to a whole bunch of sermons, and they equate the very fact that they're listening to a sermon or a podcast with growth or the fact that they've attended church for 35, 45, 55 years, and they equate that length of time that they have been in church, they somehow think that that automatically equates or turns into spiritual growth. None of those things, apart from application of the knowledge that you're taking in, none of those things will create spiritual growth. Spiritual growth happens. Spiritual growth takes place when we hear the Word of God, when we study the Word of God, when we read the Word of God, but then we again begin to apply the Word of God to our lives. That is when we begin to grow. Listen, most of you know that I have some favorite pastors, Alistair Begg, uh, John MacArthur, to name just two and probably two of my top favorites. Do you think that there are people in Alistair Begg's church and in John MacArthur's church who are spiritually immature, who are not growing? I would say yes. Do you fault John MacArthur, the greatest expositor that this century has ever seen? Do you fault John MacArthur for their lack of growth? Can we say, J-Mac, <laughs> listen, buddy, you got to step up your game. I mean, I'm just not growing under you. Or do we say to Alistair Begg, listen, Listen, man, get your act together, man. You're just not helping me out. Listen, I, I, had, I, I had a couple take me out to lunch one time, and I knew something was up when that happens. That don't happen very often. And, and uh, they uh, proceeded to tell me how they just weren't growing under my ministry. Well, instead of spoiling my lunch, I said, I'm sorry, that's your problem, not mine. I think I spoiled their lunch. Because I knew that I was doing all that I could do. I was providing them everything that they needed in order to grow. So if we're not growing, what's that old saying? When you point that way, you got three pointing back at you. You can point at me, but you got three fingers pointing back at you as well. See, spiritual growth happens when we begin to apply all this wonderful knowledge that we have access to. And let's face it, folks, we live in a time, we live in a day and age, there is no shortage of material available to us to help us grow spiritually. So if we are not growing spiritually, we do not need another program. We don't need to go looking for another church, per se. The place to begin is to, to look is, am I applying all of the knowledge that's available to me that I'm taking in, okay? Now, I realize uh, that like children, we all experience different rates of growth and development. You know, uh, I, I raised four kids, and not all of them developed at the same pace. 
Some develop naturally faster than others. Uh, some of God's children grow and develop at a different pace than others. Some Christians, they seem to take off like a rocket. For others, the rate of growth is almost imperceptible. You can't hardly see any kind of growth in them at all. But then there are the Christians that I call the turtle Christians, the tortoise Christians. You know, they just kind of plod along. Nothing exciting, nothing spectacular. But with every step, what are they doing? They're growing. They're growing. And eventually, they make tremendous progress in spiritual growth. Why? Because they are consistent in the application of what needs to be done in order to grow spiritually. And, and I will say this. I want to be kind. Perhaps some Christians grow more slowly than others because no one has ever provided them with decent instruction. I realize that's a, that can be a real problem. Um, perhaps their spiritual diet has, is entirely made up of milk and not much solid food. And we know that we are what we eat. And parents who are concerned about their child's growth and development, they do what? They pay, pay attention to what they eat. And that's why here as a church that we major on discipleship. You know, sometimes people will say, I can't quite figure out why you guys don't have three or four services a week. Well, it's a very simple reason. Number one, I'm not so sure that you could handle three or four big meals like that and to be able to apply it to your life. I don't know that you would have time to do that. Second, if we would have multiple services during the week, and I'm not faulting any church that does, that if that's what they if that's what God would have them to do, that's fine. But our philosophy is we want to free up time. And one of the reasons we want to free up time is so that you can be involved in discipleship. Because when you're involved on one, in one-on-one -on -one discipleship, guess what? That is a tremendous aid to your growth. And by the way, say, what do you do in your discipleship? Most of you know that. But, you know, we start you off with the great doctrines of the Bible. Why? We want you to have a solid doctrinal foundation right from the very beginning. And so we major on discipleship. We want to make sure that you have a balanced diet, make sure that you have proper nutrition that will facilitate your spiritual growth and development. All right. What does it mean to grow spiritually? I'm just going to spend a minute or two here on this. What does it mean to grow spiritually? Well, to grow spiritually means several things, and probably more than what I'll give you this morning, but I think these are some important ones. Number one, to grow spiritually means that our sense of sin becomes stronger as we grow. You know, there, there, there's a point of time, you, if someone comes, initially comes to faith in Christ, and they may not be aware that something that they have been doing their, their entire life is actually a violation of God's law. It's actually a sinful activity. Okay? So they don't really feel the weight of that sin. But as they sit under the preaching of the Word of God, as they read the Word of God, as they're involved in discipleship, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows them that, hey, wait a minute, this is not something that I should be doing. So what's happening here? They're experiencing the weight of that sin and that's a sign of spiritual growth. As we grow spiritually, our faith becomes stronger, right? When we initially come to, to Christ, we have enough faith to believe in Christ, but perhaps not enough faith to believe in anything else, to strike out and do anything else. But over time, as we grow spiritually, our faith becomes stronger, and we're willing to take the next step. We're willing to take perhaps a little bit more risk for the cause of Christ. What is that a sign of? That's a sign of spiritual growth that our faith is becoming stronger. How about this? When we first come to faith in Christ, we may not know that the Bible says that we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should love them sacrificially. We should do whatever we can for them. But all of a sudden, we, are, we come to faith in Christ, and we hear that teaching. And so guess what we begin to do? We begin to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We begin to love our neighbors more. And when we begin to do those things... That is a sign of spiritual growth. You know, you can apply this on a church-wide basis as well. A church that is not growing spiritually probably has very little concern for anybody outside of the church. It's so easy to become inwardly focused. It's our four and no more. But the reality is, as our love for Christ grows, 
our love for others will grow. And guess what? We will involve ourselves in the Great Commission. We will reach out to those outside of our four walls. All right. Why should we be concerned about our spiritual growth? For the simple reason, it reveals some very important things about us. Let me give you, I think I got five, and I'll run through them. Well, I don't want to say quickly, but expediently. How about that? Number one, spiritual growth is evidence of your spiritual health. Spiritual growth is evidence of your spiritual health. As I've repeatedly said, spiritual growth is a demonstration of spiritual life. If I can take a look at myself and see that I am growing spiritually... If my faith is becoming stronger, if I do hate sin more, if I do love my brothers and sisters more, those are all positive signs, and that is a sign that uh, I'm spiritually healthy. Now, let me caution you by saying this. I am not saying that you will see equal growth in all of these areas. There are times when we will see greater growth in one area than perhaps we will in another, and I think that's kind of natural. But I do believe we will see growth, some level of growth, in all of these different areas. But the rate of growth in these areas may not be equal as some of the others. And as we saw last week, the starting point to becoming like Christ is to what? Is to acknowledge our current spiritual condition, is to step back and to do a thorough assessment of where we are at spiritually. You know, uh, this, so the starting point of becoming like Christ, the starting point with spiritual growth, is to step back and say, where am I currently at? You know, there are some aspects of our health that we can measure. You know, you can uh, go to Amazon and order you a blood pressure monitor. I, I've got one. Uh, I've got a kit to monitor my blood sugar. Um, I can measure my weight when I... Feel brave, amen. <laughs> you know, uh, there are certain things that I can do on my own. Why? Because you know I have the ability to kind of self-diagnose in those areas. But you know, there's other there's other parts of me that I can't see that I don't even know to write the to ask the right questions about. So you know what I do every six months. Very begrudgingly, I go and see my doctor. And I know, I know Dr. Williams, you've watched me on YouTube, so hello. Um, uh, I'll see you in a few weeks. Um, but, you know, she knows to ask me some very important questions because of my chronic condition. And she'll check my uh, circulation, parts of my body, and stuff like that. I wouldn't know if what I was trying to figure out if I tried to do it on my own. The point being is there are times when we have to go to somebody outside of us to help diagnose where we currently are at, and that's part of discipleship. And I trust that some of you followed through on your homework this week and, and asked somebody else to help you uh, diagnose your current spiritual condition. So listen, if there's no growth, that should be a cause for alarm. If there's no spiritual growth, that could be a sign that something is wrong. And we must keep this in mind. Spiritual life, spiritual growth is important because there is life beyond the grave. And if we're concerned about that life beyond the grave, and I'm assuming you all are because you're here, we want to make sure that we're not being deceived, that we're not kidding ourselves, that we're not professing to be Christians, but we see no signs of spiritual growth. Number two, spiritual growth contributes to our experience of joy. Spiritual growth contrib contributes to our experience of joy. Now, let's think this through. It is God's nature to be happy. If God was an unhappy God, we would all be saying what? Woe is me. So it's God's nature to be happy. Therefore, the more we become like him, the happier we will be. Can I say that again? 
If it is God's nature to be happy, and it is, therefore, the more we become like him, the happier we will be. So we know that God is holy. Therefore, the more that you and I grow in holiness, the happier we will be. The world has it directly opposite, don't they? They think that sin, living it up, party town, getting blasted, getting wasted, getting high, they think that's going to make them happy. That's going to bring them joy. But sin is what makes us miserable. Sin actually robs us of joy. Conversely, as we see a decreasing frequency of sin in our lives, the more we experience joy and the happier we will be. Say, well, what is sin? Well, here's what sin is. Sin is opposition to God's standards. Remember, when God created the world, what did he say? He said that it was all good. Well, what was it that spoiled God's good creation? It was sin. It was sin. Sin introduced disease, despair, discouragement, depression, and ultimately death. Now, let's think this through again. When do you think Adam and Eve were at the apex of their joy, were at the height of their happiness? Do you think they were most happy when they were living in holiness and obeying God and living in paradise, or do you think they were more happy when they disobeyed God, they ate of the forbidden fruit, they were expelled from the garden, and now they, the only way they could eat was by uh, the sweat of their brow? When do you think they were most happy? Before the fall, when they lived in holiness, or after the fall, when they lived in sinfulness? Well, obviously, it's a rhetorical question. They were most happy when they lived in holiness. John Piper writes, The Christian's holiness and happiness in God are not two separate realities. Happiness in God is the essence of holiness. He goes on to say, we can see this when we consider that holiness is the opposite of sin, and sin is preferring anything over God. Therefore, holiness is preferring God for his supreme beauty and worth over everything and acting in accord with the preference. Therefore, happiness in God is our supreme treasure, is the essence of holiness. So, as we grow in grace, as we grow spiritually, as we grow in holiness... Guess what happens? The happier we become. The more that we treasure God, the happier we will be. Treasuring God comes with our spiritual growth. It is growth in grace. Number three, spiritual growth allows us to be truly helpful to others. J.C. Ryle writes, The children of the world measure Christianity quite as much by their eyes as by their ears. In other words, they're watching you as a Christian to see if there's any reality to what you profess or what you say with your mouth. They're looking for that harmony. They're looking for integrity between what you say you believe and actually how you live. As I've repeatedly said in the past, you don't really believe anything until you live it out. So when others see you growing and changing for the better, guess what? They will take notice of that. Now, I'm not going to say that they're going to walk up and stop you on the street and say, hey, I know there's something different about you. I doubt that that's going to happen. But they can't help but notice that you're different from so many others. And when they find themselves facing some kind of crisis, some kind of trouble, who do you think they're going to be more prone to turn to? Those who seem to be stuck in neutral, who can't make, can't make any kind of progress in their lives, or somebody who seems to, dare I say, be happy and moving forward, who would you want to turn to? Again, Ryle said, men think there is life and reality when 
they see growth. Now, based upon that statement, do you see how spiritual growth will automatically lead to loving others? So therefore, if we're not loving others, we should step back and say, am I growing spiritually? Number four, spiritual growth pleases God. Spiritual growth pleases God. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, and you do so more and more. Then Hebrews 13, verse 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, you know, when I read verses like that, I am utterly blown away by the fact that there's something that I can actually do that pleases God. Now, think about that. I know I've done plenty in my life that displeases God. Amen? But now I'm learning that there is actually something that I can do and there's something that I can do on a consistent basis that actually pleases God. It's an amazing thing to know that I can please God. And how, do, how can you and I as God's children be pleasing to Him? By growing spiritually. Think about this. Where's, where's Karina? Is Karina downstairs? She's up here. She's downstairs. Karina likes to play around the dirt. She likes to plant flowers. She's planted the tulips out there that'll bloom here soon. So think about someone who likes to plant flowers. When, when do those flowers please the one who planted them? When they stuck them in the dirt and they don't see anything happening? Or do they get more pleasure when they finally see those flowers bloom? Now, for some, they may get pleasure from the act of planting. I'm sure they do. But I'm equally as sure that they get more pleasure by the growth of the flowers. When they see those flowers bloom, when they see them burst into color, that growth is pleasing, brings pleasure to the one who planted them. Likewise, our growth, the blooms of our spiritual growth are pleasing to the one who planted us. They're pleasing to God. God is pleased with us when we grow. Number five, we are accountable for our spiritual growth. We are accountable for our spiritual growth. God gives us everything that we need to grow. Listen, he doesn't ask us to grow and then says, well, figure it out on your own. He doesn't ask us to grow and say, well, you know, you come up with a, whatever you need to, in order to get the job done. No. God gives us everything that we need to grow. Why? Because he expects us to grow. And because he expects us to grow, he will continue to provide everything that is necessary in order to sustain our growth. Point in, point in proof, James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Here's the point. We grow, he gives more grace. We use that grace to do what? To grow some more. Guess what God does? He gives more grace. We grow by that grace that he gives, and he gives more grace. It's an inexhaustible cycle. He's always going to give us the grace that we need to grow. All right. How can we know if we're growing spiritually? How can we know if we're growing spiritually? Now, I dealt with this a little bit last week, so I'll, I'll go through this rather briefly. Number one, we will feel the weight of our sin more and more. Remember, Paul said that he was the chief of sinners. Job said, I am vile. Abraham said, I am dust and ashes. David said, I am a worm. Isaiah said, woe is me, because he was a man of unclean lips. Uh, Peter said he was a sinful man. So what's the point? The point is this. The closer we get to God, the more we grow in grace, the more we will feel and understand the weight of our sin. We will actually begin to understand that we are more sinful than we ever thought we were. Number two, a second evidence of growth is, gro is a growing love for Jesus. 
As we begin to learn more about Jesus, as we begin to learn more about what all that Christ has done for us and all that he is for us, the greater our love for him becomes. Those who are growing in grace, those who are growing spiritually, those who are growing in their love for Christ, they will echo the words of Paul that we'll look at hopefully next week, Philippians 3.13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made up my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He wants to become like Christ. Why? Because he loves Christ, because he is already a Christian. He's, he's not striving to attain Christ in order to become a Christian. No, he's straining forward to attain Christ because he's already a Christian, because he loves Christ, and therefore he puts all the effort necessary into to attaining the thing for which Christ had laid hold of him. Number three, as we grow, our priorities will change. You know, things that we used to invest so much of our time in, we just won't see as that attractive. We won't be so much drawn to them as we were in the past. Our appetite for spiritual things will increase. Our desire to be around God's people will increase. I thought of that old uh, hymn that said, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Number four, as we grow spiritually, we will become more aware of the plight and the need of the unsaved. As we grow spiritually, we will become more aware of the plight and the need of the unsaved. As we grow spiritually, we will understand, we will begin to feel some of the weight of the peril that they are under. We will begin to feel the weightiness of the responsibility that if they are not reached with the gospel, if they are not at least given the opportunity to respond to the gospel, then they will perish and will forever be under the eternal judgment of God. And as we feel this weight, as we understand their condition, as we understand their plight, we will labor, we will do whatever is necessary in order to reach them for Christ. It may be sending out a pamphlet like we just did. It may be befriending them and trying to share the gospel with them. We will do whatever it takes. We will do whatever we can in order to see them come to faith in Christ. And by the way, let me say this. Particularly like John and Brooke, those who are involved in ministries that deal with those who profess faith in Christ, please be wise enough to not always take all of those professions of faith at face value. Probe them. See them. Ask them. Show them this is what it means to be saved. Are you growing spiritually? Are you increasing in love for your brothers and sisters? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you increasing in love for do you hate sin? There's plenty of self-diagnostic questions that we can ask them. Remember, those who are not growing have little concern for the unsaved. Lambs, which are what? Baby sheep. Lambs cannot reproduce. Only a mature or maturing sheep can reproduce. If we bemoan our lack of evangelism, the solution is not an evangelistic program. The solution is the maturing, the growing of the sheep. That's what it takes. Here's the last thing to be considered. How can we grow spiritually? Well, let's start with the good news. God wants you to grow spiritually. That's good news, isn't it? And because God wants you to grow spiritually, he has provided and will continue to provide for you everything you need in order to grow. Therefore, the challenge for us is just to learn what it is that God has available for us and then make a plan in order to put those resources to use, to put them to work. Now, know this. 
God has chosen to work through very specific means in order to produce spiritual growth in our lives. We need to understand this. We need to understand there's a, there's a very, God has not overwhelmed us, if I can put it this way. God has not overwhelmed us with a multitude of things that are at our disposal that we have to equally dive into in order to grow spiritually. In fact, he's limited the list, the tools, the resources to something that we can easily manage. Let me say this. If we choose to neglect God's means of growth, we will not grow. Listen, you can attend every small group that you want to attend. You can go to every conference you want to attend. You can read every book that you want to read. Uh, you can go looking for the next latest and greatest program that's out there, thinking that's going to somehow create growth in you. Listen, if you choose to, de to depart from God's chosen means of growth, you will not grow. So really what I'm doing here is I'm just saving you a whole lot of time. Okay? So what are God's chosen means of growth? Well, they're so familiar to most of us, we kind of think they're unimportant. Or we don't invest the right amount of importance in them. You know what I'm talking about, right? Number one, consistent reading of the Scriptures. But not just, you know, Jeff and Emily and I talk about this as well. There's a real danger in using a Bible reading plan. I use a Bible reading plan. I've used one for a long time. You say, well, what's the danger of using a Bible reading plan? Well, it become, if you're not careful, it becomes another item on your to-do list. Oh, I've got to check that box. And some people are so obsessive about checking that box, got to check that box. They're going to check that box whether or not they really get anything out of their Scripture reading or not. Use a plan, yes. I think you should have some kind of plan. Uh, uh, flopping your Bible open and going like this is not a plan. Okay. You should have a plan to read consistently through the Scriptures. I think you ought to try and read through the Scriptures once every year. It's not as difficult as you think. It really isn't. So the first thing is to read the Scriptures consistently, but slow down as you read. Make sure that you're comprehending what you're reading. Ask yourself some questions. Say, how, do I, how can I better comprehend not just Scripture, but any book. Ask yourself, ask, your, ask questions of the author as you go through it. Ask yourself questions as you go through it. For instance, you're reading the Scripture. Ask yourself, is there a sin in here that I need to be repenting of, that I need to forsake, that I need to give up? Is there a promise that I need to make my own, that I need? Is there some kind of exhortation or encouragement that I need today and that I need to make my own? So the first thing is simply begin to read the Scriptures on a consistent basis basis. Make it your goal. I, I watched a, a video of a, a pastor uh, here a while back who I was really blown away and really challenged and motivated by him, but he, and he didn't say this in a bragging way, but he has read the scriptures every day for the past 24 years. And he's not an old man. He's younger than I am. 24 years every day. He just developed a plan and he stuck to the plan and he reads it consistently every day. Second is be consistent in your prayer life. Be consistent in your prayer life. Let me make some suggestions. Number one, a lot of people, hey, I understand this. A lot of people struggle with their prayer life. And they, they kind of feel like they say the same. Do you ever feel like you say the same things over and over? It's like God could go to sleep and wake up ten minutes later and pick right up where, you know. Let me give you some, some help for that. The greatest help, I think, is just simply learning to pray through the Scriptures. Start with the Psalms. Start with the Psalms. Okay? Or uh, the Lord's Prayer. You can find out there on the Internet where Martin Luther, he wrote a pamphlet to his barber. Believe it or not. His barber asked him, Hey, Marty, I need some help in my prayer life. And... Martin Luther went back and wrote out this little pamphlet about how to pray through the Lord's Prayer. It's a wonderful pamphlet. You can find it, print it out, and, and use it in your own prayer life. Pray through the Scriptures. Pray through the Psalms, the Lord's Prayer. 
Be consistent in your prayer life. But again, let me challenge you to listen to yourself and to make sure that you're not saying the same thing every day. Have you fallen into the trap of rote praying that is utterly devoid of thought? It's so easy to do. Pay attention to the actual words and phrases that you're using. Again, it's so easy. Listen, I'm the voice of experience here. It's so easy to fall into a repetitive pattern of praying when you can pray it without thinking about it. Focus on what you're saying. Remember this as well. We saw this back in our Save Ephesians that the Bible encourages us to be praying at all times in the Spirit. Remember what that means? That means that we seek the aid of the Holy Spirit to help shape and guide and form our prayers, to inform our prayers. The Holy Spirit wants to help you in your prayer life. So ask the Holy Spirit to help you as you pray. Another means of growth is to memorize the Scriptures. And everybody goes, uh, like Snoopy and Charlie Brown, uh. But the reality is, and let me, let me dispel your fears, everyone can memorize Scripture. Is it harder for some than others? Absolutely. But everyone can memorize the Scriptures. Listen, I can. I can. And... This is natural. This is not a sign of youth, by the way. You can memorize the Scriptures. You just have to put forth the effort into it. Start small. You think you can memorize one verse a week? I'll give give you a verse that I guarantee that you can have memorized by this time next week. Jesus wept. Boom. You've just memorized the verse. So you can do it. Memorize the Scriptures. Have a plan for memorizing the Scriptures. Then lastly, of course, would be to meditate on the Scriptures. Follow the advice of Jonathan Edwards, who said that he uh, always meditated with a pencil in his hands. Why? So he could write down uh, the fruit of his meditation, if you will. Listen, God is pleased when you and I take the time to meditate on his word. He is pleased by that. He will reward that. So when he rewards that by giving you perhaps an insight into what you're meditating on or a way that you can apply that to your life, write that down. Keep that special. Here's a couple other random things here. Be careful of what you put into your mind and what you expose yourself to. Stay away from those who try and tear you and your faith down. Okay? Evaluate your entertainment and music choices. We live in a world that it's, it's not unlimited, but it's almost unlimited as to what we can consume in a given day. I mean, every week there's a new streaming service. And there's Apple Music, and there's Spotify, and there's Amazon Music, and there's this, and there's that. Evaluate what you're taking in. Not all of it is an aid to you growing spiritually. In fact, it may be a hindrance to you growing spiritually. Evaluate your relationships. Are they keeping you from growing? Are they helping you to grow? Remember, the Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company. And it's not referring to the English band. Bad company ruins. Now, notice what it says. Bad company ruins good morals. We have to be careful about who we associate with the Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Now, I'm, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you have to completely withdraw from the world and go join a monastery or a convent. I'm not saying that. But you have to understand that there are some people that are not good for you to be around. There are some sources of entertainment that are not good for you spiritually. 
And it shows real wisdom when you withdraw from that. You say, but I'm trying to win them to Christ. But if they're not good for you, would you trust that God has somebody that he will bring into their life and bring them to Christ if that's his plan? Okay? Finally, practice the presence of Jesus in your own life. Jeff and Ben and I talked about this yesterday morning. I'm not sure how many Christians have a experiential knowledge of Jesus versus just a head knowledge of Jesus. Jesus wants us to have a head knowledge, an intellectual understanding of who he is. But he is more than an entry in Wikipedia. He is the son of the living God who died to save you, to befriend you, to be there for you at all times. He said he's a brother. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. What does does he mean by that? Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, did Jesus mean that or did he not mean that? I, for one, believe that he meant that. Practice the presence of Christ in your life every moment of every day day. And then lastly, there must be an urgency concerning spiritual growth. You say, why? Because you do not know when you will die. You have no idea. I think of Ben and Victoria's neighbor, right, lives right next to him a couple months ago. He left for work. He was killed before he ever got to work. Do you think he had any idea that was the last time that he would lock his front door? That was the last cup of coffee he would ever drink? That was the last time he would start his car? That was the last time he would head to work? Do you think any of those thoughts were in his mind? But yet, it was the last time he locked his door. It was the last cup of coffee he drank. It was the last time he headed for work. He was killed in a car wreck. And that could happen to any one of us. It could happen to any one of us when we leave here today. And if you have not made spiritual growth a priority, your chance is over. Your chance for doing something that pleases God is over. Your chance of experiencing happiness and joy that comes from holiness, it's over. It's over. It's over. 